This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Psalm 34 is where we'll find ourselves this morning. I'd encourage you, if you don't have a good Bible reading schedule right now, read through the book of Psalms. You can never, ever, ever go wrong with the book of Psalms. Uh, there's 150 of the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms is a book of poetry. It was a, a song book that the early church would use to actually sing praise to God. Uh, and so you'll find a lot of uh, emotion in the book of Psalms. And uh, so I would encourage you to read through that if you've never read through it before. There's 150 psalms, so if you read three psalms a day, you could read the entire book of psalms in a month. And it would be one of the best months you've ever had in your life if you read through the book of psalms and really uh, dissect it, digest it. I promise you it'll be good for you for sure. So if you don't have a good Bible reading schedule for this year, start the book of psalms tomorrow and read five psalms a day, and I guarantee you you'll be helped by that. We find ourselves this morning in Psalm 34, starting in verse number 1. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Think about that. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Uh, God has blessed our family with four incredible children. Um, and we're blessed to have kids. My, my youngest daughter is two. Uh, my uh, oldest daughter is 11. My youngest son is 17, turns 18 next month. I think I'm going to die. And my oldest son, 25. So from 25 to two, that's the craziness of the King household. I'm telling you, it's something else. And if you've ever had kids that are a little bit spread out, you, you kind of forget things as you go along how uh, kids pick up on things and kids mimic the things that they see and how you got to be careful with what you say around kids uh, because they'll repeat it. Uh, and so um, uh, yesterday, actually, I'm sorry, it was Friday. My wife said to me, uh, Tallulah's got a new word in her vocabulary. And I was just like, oh, great. And so, uh, and again, at two years old, she's very aware of everything that's going on. The other day, uh, she said something and I didn't answer her back. I just lifted my eyebrows. And she goes, dad, stop lifting your eyebrows. And I thought, how do you know the word lift? How do you know what eyebrows are? Because nobody's taught you that yet. It's crazy. It's just very, very attentive to everything. Uh, but I said, what's her new word in the vocabulary? She said, you'll just have to wait, and when you hear it, you'll hear it. I thought, oh, my soul. Uh, and so yesterday, we're on the way to my son's basketball game. That's why my voice is a little bit rough, because the refs were terrible last night. Uh, so I apologize for my, my voice. It's basketball season. What do you want? Um, um, so uh, we're on the way to the basketball game, and my wife's driving, because uh, when I drive, it gives my wife anxiety, so I let her drive sometimes. Uh, and so uh, my wife was driving, and we pulled up to a, a, a stop stoplight at the crosswalk, and sure enough, my daughter in the back seat, two years old, pipes up, scoot up, scoot up. And I go, what is that? What is scoot up? And she goes, I'm sorry. She goes, I was trying to get around somebody the other day at a stoplight, and they didn't leave enough room. And I just, scoot up, scoot up. And she goes, now every time we pull up to a red light, she just says, scoot up, scoot up. It's like, oh, my soul. So we're going to have to unwind that one. I don't know how you deprogram children, but I'm going to Google that this afternoon and see how you do it. Uh, but uh, I realized in that moment, and I've known this my whole parenting career, uh, that kids just mimic what they see. 
And that's either a really, really good thing or it's a really, really terrible thing. And we have to kind of be on point as parents all the time to make sure that we're doing the right thing. So if our kids do copy us, and they will, that they copy us doing the right things. Here's the thing for us as Christians, though. Did you know that non-Christians are watching you to see what you do, to see what your response is? to see what your attitude is, to see what your words are, to see how you live your life. Because non-Christians will watch you for one of two reasons. First of all, and most commonly, they watch you to be critical of you. I'm gonna watch this. This guy claims to be a Christian. This guy claims to be a Christian. Let's see if their life backs it up. And the first time they get the opportunity to go, Yep, see, I knew it. I, I knew it. They're a fake. They're a phony. They're a hypocrite. They're going to jump on that. They're going to take the first opportunity that they have to point out the inconsistencies in your life. So that's why you and I always have to be on our A game because we're not just making ourselves look bad. We're making the Lord look bad, and that's terrible. But sometimes Christians are watching you for an even better reason because they're trying to figure out, is this whole Christianity thing worth exploring? Is this worth looking into? Could I be a Christian? Does that person possess something that I myself want? And that's a very, very good reason for people to watch our lives. It's been said before sometimes that pastors live in a fishbowl with their family that everybody's looking and and looking to criticize. I would go a step further than that and I'd say any Christian who determines to walk with Jesus is gonna live in a fishbowl where people are watching your life to see if it matches up with what you say you believe. See, I grew up in a a Baptist church in Kentucky, very small town, uh, but a very old church. I remember when I was a teenager in high school, we had our 100-year anniversary as a church. Old uh, church just really stuck. And this church believed exactly what our church believes about the Bible. The Bible is the inerrant word of God, that it is complete uh, in all 66 books that we have, that Jesus Christ is the son of God who is incarnated in the flesh, born of a virgin to save us from our sins, that Christ is the only way to heaven, uh, no way we can make it to heaven on our own. Exactly what we believe about doctrine. The big difference was the type of church that I grew up in, it, those beliefs didn't change the way that they lived. You see, my friends at church were no different than my unsafe friends in public school that I went to. They, they told the same dirty jokes. They went to the same parties. They smoked uh, the same joints. They drank the same beer. Uh, no difference whatsoever. I remember our youth pastor, uh, no different than any other unsafe man who was having an inappropriate sexual relationship with his girlfriend at the time that ended up being found out and nothing really happened about it. Kind of got swept under the rug. And I remember thinking to myself, this whole Christianity thing is a joke. And me as a 16-year-old, I could not recognize in my own mind what the Bible says and how these so-called Christians were living. And you know what I decided as, as you know, a 16-year-old young man who's got everything in life figured out? I believe the Bible and I believe in God, but church is a joke. Christians are fake. And I'd made up my mind that that was the way that I was gonna go until I met a real Christian who really believed what the Bible said who when they did something wrong, they actually went around and apologized to people for it, who actually tried to walk in righteousness, walk in holiness, really took the Bible as God's word to us. And I remember seeing that and going, wait a minute, I don't know what this person is or what they believe, but I want what they have because I saw their life and it was distinctly different. I wanna challenge you to be a Christian whose life is distinctly different and points other people to Jesus. 
Don't be the Christian. Look, we've got plenty of these. We're, we're overrunning this world with Christians who claim the name of Christ when it's convenient, but live for themselves, live for the world, or even, I'll go so far as to say, live for the devil. Don't be that type of Christian. We got way too many of those. Be the type of Christian who says, no, no, no. I'm gonna live differently because Jesus expects me to live differently. And I am going to live differently because I want to magnify Jesus. I want people to look at my life and I want Jesus to be so big that you can't miss it. That's what it means to magnify Jesus. And the psalmist here says, let us magnify the Lord together. And today we're taking a look at how we do that through our praise. The word praise means to express admiration towards, to stand in awe of, to be grateful for. That's what the word praise means. But there's a word that means the opposite of praise, and the opposite of praising is complaining. And I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of this from time to time, probably a couple of times this week even. When we sit at the red light and we say, scoot up, scoot up. Guilty of complaining a little bit. Now, thankfully, my daughter doesn't ride with me when I take the kids to school because she learned uh, other types of phrases that she could use as well. Uh, but um, the opposite of praising is complaining. And whether we complain for what we consider good reasons or uh, just really selfish reasons, at the end of the day, complaining is the opposite of praising. And we're called to praise God and when we have a complaining spirit that detracts from our praise, a complaining spirit expresses dissatisfaction with God and his perfect plan. Complaining says God doesn't know what he's doing because I got stuck in this crummy situation and I don't know what he's doing, but I don't care much for it. <laughs> I remember when um, God originally had moved our family to, to Honolulu back in uh, 1999. Uh, we, we came here, um, my wife and I were newly married, we, we moved to Honolulu, and uh, we came here, and we got around, we got to see everything, we, we got out at the airport and got the book, 101 Things to Do uh, on Oahu, and we started trying to check off as many things as we could, uh, and we got down to it after about maybe three months or so, we'd done probably half of that book, and, and we began to become very dissatisfied with where we were. We can't take a road trip because there's only so far you can drive, right? We're gonna drive all the way down to H1 and see where it ends. Well, that took about 20 minutes, right? Um, well, we're gonna find there, evidently there's three major freeways here. We're gonna take all of them till they end. Guess what? That took all of an afternoon, you know? And we picked up some good restaurants along the way and got some shave ice and let the kids out at the park to play and stuff like that. That was fine. But we became very, very dissatisfied with where we were because we couldn't take a road trip. We couldn't drive to see grandma. We couldn't do what we wanted to do. And there came in us a very complaining spirit dissatisfied with where we were. And you can pick this out on people too because you say, oh, you know, how long have you been in Hawaii? Oh, I've been here for six months. What do you think about it? And they're just like, the traffic here is terrible. Milk's expensive. It's just like, mm, I, I see where you're going with that, but let's find something good, you know? Hey, we live in a place where people spend a lot of money to come here one time in their life for a week. We get to live here. You know, we get to see God's creation firsthand. I mean, I mean you get to get up and, and look, hey, if you're stuck in traffic on the H1, I get it. It's no, not a fun place to be. But just look around while you're stuck in traffic and it's a gorgeous place to be stuck in traffic in. I mean, really. 
I mean, have you ever driven through New Mexico before? Like, seriously, think about that. Some people are like, I love the desert. Fine. Brown is not my color, okay? I prefer more green. But, hey, look, be grateful for where you are because complaining spirit is a dissatisfaction with God's plan. Hey, look, God brought our family to Hawaii back in 1999 for a very, very, very good reason. You know why? To be exactly where we are today. You mean God knew what he was doing 21 years ago? Yeah, that's what God does. And when we get frustrated with our circumstances, we get frustrated with our situation, we have tunnel vision, and we're only focusing on this 24-hour period that we're currently living in, and we're forgetting about God's overarching plan for our life. And when we complain, we forget that God's in charge of everything, God knows what he's doing, and I need to trust him. So be careful with the complaining spirit. Because you know what? A complaining spirit's very contagious. It catches on really, really quickly. You don't believe me, just take a minute and say something like this. Man, weather's been crummy over the last couple weeks, hasn't it? Oh, I know. We tried to go to the beach the other day, and it was drizzling and cold, and it was awful, and it was overcast. Yeah, I know. It's been like this for weeks now. Yeah, it's terrible. I got a text from a friend this morning who's in Illinois today. Five degrees. <laughs> and I'm complaining because it's 71 drizzling and the wind's blowing a little bit. I'm kind of cold. And I forgot my hoodie at home, right? Come on, folks, really. A complaining spirit is contagious. It catches on to people around me. But you know what? A praising spirit is also contagious. It catches on really quickly. Bible says in Numbers chapter 11, this first part of the verse, we actually made our kids memorize when they were small. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and he heard it, and his anger was kindled. Now we stopped there, making them memorize the verse, because if you read the rest of it, it says, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. I didn't want to scare my kids. Like, you start complaining, God's going to kill you with fire, okay? <laughs> Although, that's a really... No, um, uh, <laughs> I just want him to know, when you complain, God looks back at that and goes, mm, really? You're going to gripe about, like, after all I've done for you? If you read the story in the Old Testament of the Exodus, God took them out of slavery and was bringing them to, into a place that flowed with milk and honey to be their God, and they would be his people, and you're going to gripe about that? Hold up. The Bible says that God is displeased when they complained. Complaining ultimately casts blame on God for unhappiness. I'm in this crummy situation because God let me down. Can you imagine the thought of God letting anybody down? God not keeping his end of the bargain? God not taking care of what needs to be taken care of? At the end of the day, complaining spirit just says, God didn't know what he was doing. And now I'm not happy. I had lunch with one of our men a few weeks ago and we were talking about life and, and stuff like that and he was talking about his, uh, his job that he worked and things along those lines and he, had, he and his wife had put all of their retirement savings into stock for his company. And it basically whenever they socked away money for retirement, they socked it into their company stock. So we got word one morning that our company had gone bankrupt and merged with another company and all of our stock was completely wiped out, all of it. And so he said, we basically just had to start over. And I said, 
how much in dollars would you say that you lost in your stock? If you were just guessing, he says, I try not to look at it. He goes, but by today's stock price, somewhere in the ballpark of about a million and a half dollars. And the next words that he said blew me away. Hey, what are you going to do? I don't know. Let's sit and gripe about it together, right? Let's talk about how the man stuck it to you. Let's talk about how in this injustice. Let's talk about the golden parachutes that I guarantee the CEOs got. Let's figure out how the CEO's retirement probably didn't get impacted by that, but they probably got richer from it. Let's sit and gripe about that. But you know what? He wasn't having any of it. And I tried to pry and ask a few more questions, but he didn't really want to talk about it that much. Because you know what he said? God's just been really faithful to us. Hmm. I learned a lot that day. Because when I think maybe I've given up something or maybe I think that I've lost something or maybe I want to gripe and complain because I feel like God's been unfair to me, I realize that God is never unfair. God is always just. God is always righteous. God always knows what he's doing. And I just have to trust him. But complaining says I don't trust God. You see, here's what the enemies of praise will be in my life and yours. First of all, entitlement. The idea that I deserve something. This is incredibly prevalent in our society that we live today. And this will kill your praise. I got something coming to me. And let me just tell you, if I don't get what's coming to me, I'm gonna gripe, I'm gonna complain, and that's gonna kill my praise. Entitlement fails to acknowledge who we really are. It fails to see what we really do deserve. When I feel like I got something coming my way just for breathing, just for existing, then I develop a sense of entitlement and I feel like something's coming my way, but then I forget what I really do deserve. Entitlement wants to wants what it feels it's deserved. I want to get what's coming to me. And friend, let me tell you this. I guarantee you, you do not want God to give you what's coming to you. Guarantee. Because what we're deserving is God's punishment, God's wrath. You don't want that. You want God's grace. You want his mercy. Entitlement assumes more power than one actually has. Again, entitlement is the idea that I got something coming my way because of who I am or because of what I've done, and I better get what's coming to me, and entitlement will kill your praise. We had a man in our church uh, several years ago. Um, he had said, uh, Pastor, pray for me. He said, the, uh, the 06 board in, in the Army uh, is meeting this week, and they're going to just basically decide my, my fate. He says, if I don't get advanced this time around, he says, I'm going to be forced to retire. Uh, I forget the guy had been in 20, 26 years, something along those lines. He says, I really want to stay into 30. And he said, but if I don't make those checks, he says, I got to go. I said, okay, man, I'm going to pray for you. And man, we prayed that week and uh, just trusted God. And um, came to church uh, a few weeks later and says, pastor didn't make it. And I said, man, sorry to hear that. And he says, no, it's been a good ride. It really has. And I said, how are you handling it? He says, here's what I did. He said, the night that I uh, found out that I didn't make it, he said, me and my wife prayed, we went to bed. He said, next morning I went up and I got, he said, I went to Leonard's and I got a dozen molasadas times three. And I thought, my guy, sit home and pig out and feel bad for yourself. I love it. You know, he said, I went into work and he said, I stopped at the gate guards and I dropped them off a dozen molasadas. He said, hey, guys, hope you guys have a great day. He said, the guy that checks badges when I walked into my building, I gave him a dozen molasadas. He said, here, you guys enjoy these today. 
He goes, I went to my office and I dropped off the last dozen malasadas and said, hey guys, I want you to enjoy this today. And he said, I had some people come by my desk and go, oh man, I'm really sorry to hear about that. And he goes, I always stopped them. He said, no, no, no. God's been so good to me. I don't deserve to be where I am today, much less to be advanced any further. He says, everything I've gotten up to this point is just the grace of God in my life and I'm just gonna enjoy what time I have left. And again, I thought to myself, Let's talk about all the guys that got advanced that shouldn't have. Name me five knuckleheads that you know of that got advanced that didn't deserve to get advanced. I want to know those guys. I want to hear about all your performance evaluations throughout the years that, that you probably got marked a little bit lower than you should have. He wasn't having that. He said, you know what, it's been a good ride. He didn't feel entitled to anything. He didn't talk about his deployments and how long he was away from his family and all these sacrifices he made. You know what he said? God's been really good to me, and I just want to be thankful for that. That helped me. Now, the enemy of praise kind of falls in line with entitlements, expectancy. Expectancy is getting my hopes up into something that I shouldn't get my hopes up in. Again, I'm not trusting in the sovereignty of God. I'm trusting in me being able to call the shots, me being able to get what I want from life or what I feel like I'm deserved. You see, the foundation of gratitude is the expectation of nothing. You want to be truly thankful? You truly want to praise God for something? Don't expect anything from life. You see, if I'm expecting when I get home from work that my wife is going to have uh, grilled up some nice steaks and a, a baked potato and uh, baked a chocolate cake and we'll gone to the store and gotten some ice cream to put on top of my chocolate cake and she's got a warmer on the side of the stove with hot fudge for the top of my ice cream that's going to go with my chocolate cake. And then I come in and find out that she's ordered pizza. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, I thought I was going to eat. Well, oh, it's your favorite pizza. I don't care. It wasn't what I wanted. Why? Because I had a level of expectancy. But if I walk in the house with no expectations and she said, hey, I made peanut butter sandwiches and Funyuns tonight, I'm like, score. Why? Because I don't have an expectancy. That's a, that sounds like a good meal, doesn't it? Some of you forgot about Funyuns, didn't you? And you're just like, ooh, Funyuns. Yes. I think it's technically considered a vegetable, okay? Uh, so if you want to... You want to get your vegetables in today, peanut butter sandwich and Funyuns. That's a fine meal right there. But you know what? If I just take every single day recognizing I don't deserve anything that God's given me so far and whatever God has come my way today, I don't deserve it. I will be thrilled by everything that God gives me. Thrilled, overjoyed. I remember when we were starting Huikala back in uh, 2013. We are gonna have our first service, October 2013. And we had done a lot of work. We had tens of thousands of flyers we had passed out and done a lot of social media stuff and inviting a lot of folks and uh, things along those lines. And I had a, a, a gang of people ask me, how many people are you expecting for your first Sunday? I said, five. 500? No, five. Me and my family, I know for sure we're gonna be there. Aren't you shooting for like 200? Hey, I'm shooting for 200,000, but I'm expecting five to be there for sure. You know Why? Because whatever God does over that, I'm going to be overjoyed by. But you see, if we had set a goal, oh, we're going to have 250 in church, the 86 that we had that first Sunday, we would have been let down by that. If we just tried to hit 100 and we got 86, we would have been let down by that. But you know what? We were overjoyed by that. 86 people we've never met before showed up to come to church. The very first Sunday, seven people accepted Christ as Savior. We were over the moon thrilled with that. What was the difference? Expectation. About the same time we were starting, there was another church planner uh, here in town that was starting. It wasn't a Baptist, it was a non-denominational church, and we'd gone to breakfast together to talk about things. 
And he told me, he goes, you can do what you want to do, but our church is launching big. He goes, anything less than 300 our first Sunday, I just won't be, I just won't be happy with that. And I said, you're setting yourself up for failure, man. Don't do that. I said, just trust God. Trust in God. If God gives you 300 or 300,000, be thankful for that. Oh, we're going big. We believe in a big God. I believe in a big God too. But we got, believe that God is in charge of this and we can't manipulate God to get what we want. We're, we're launching big. You can do what you want. We're launching big. You know what? He launched what he thought was big. It ended up being small. He got disappointed and he quit. Didn't make it six months. You know why? Because he had a wrong expectation. And you and I sometimes get into stuff with the wrong expectation. Some people get into marriage thinking, oh, marriage is going to be great. I'm marrying my best friend. We get to wake up to, to, to each other every day. We get to go to bed together every night. We'll lay in bed and hold hands and pray as we fall asleep every night. We'll wake up in the morning. She'll make breakfast. I'll make the coffee. We'll sit and laugh and tell stories until it's time to go to work. And then maybe we'll carpool to work, and it'll be great. And, you know, I can drop her off at the front. She'll hand me a sack of food for the day. And, and you think, marriage is going to be great. I'm marrying my best friend. And you realize, probably 72 hours into marriage, this isn't realistic. And guess what? People get disappointed. And then people begin to say things like, I think I married the wrong person. I, I think I messed this up. I don't, I don't think we're, here's the word, compatible. No, I think you had wrong expectations. That's why with all of our premarital counseling, we go through, hey, look, you're marrying another sinner who will greatly disappoint you at every opportunity that they get. But if you trust in the Lord, stop being so selfish, God can create something beautiful from the mess that both of you have already made of your lives as single adults. Because that's reality. And our expectation will set either disappointment or excitement. Expect it's easy to set up for disappointment and frustration. Just know that. You're setting yourself up for failure when you expect something that may or may not come to pass. Again, when we have an expectancy that things are going to go my way, uh, I'm going to get this, 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 and this, and it's all going to fall into place, we're setting ourselves up for failure and disappointment. I don't know how many of you, your life up to this point has worked out exactly how you had it mapped out. But I don't think anybody has. My son Dan turns 18 next month. He's graduating high school this, this spring. You know, and the question is, you know, what's he going to do with the rest of his life? He really doesn't know. And, and so he says he's going to go to Bible college for a year and try to figure life out and figure out what, what's important to him, what he wants to do with the rest of his life. And, and I've had people say, well, he doesn't know yet. And it's just like, did you have your life figured out at 17? I didn't. I had an idea of what I thought would be fun, but that's not real life. And I don't want to set him up for failure by having some big level of expectancy that he has to meet for me. I don't want him to go into dollars $80,000 in student loan debt trying to figure life out. No, 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 no. We're going to trust the Lord every step along the path, and whatever God does is what God does. And whatever God does is going to be awesome. But we're not going to set ourselves up for failure by having some level of expectancy. Expectancy, again, fails to acknowledge what we're really owed. You know what I got coming to me? God's wrath, punishment, judgment, that's what God owes me. God doesn't owe me a dollar. God doesn't owe me my next breath. 
God doesn't owe me a life of ease. And here's the problem with expectancy. Expectancy is fueled by comparison. Oh, look at what they got. Hey, how many of you have ever used this line before? What are you talking? They got that. Here I am over here trying to do the right thing, trying to follow God, and they got that? Anybody ever said that before? I have. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to follow God with my life. And then they are going to get ahead of me? Whoa. God is so unfair. And then we pray stupid prayers like this. Yeah, I said it, stupid prayers. God, here I am trying to serve you with my life, and I just can't seem to get ahead. God, here I am, your humble servant, and everybody else gets to go to the head of the line, and I get stuck in the back, just trying to serve you in humility. Hmm, really? Let me help you with this. When all of the prayers that you pray are about you and what you can get and your comfort and how good life is for you, that's the opposite of humility. It's called selfishness and pride, and it will ruin, wreck, completely destroy your praise every single time because it looks at me and how things are going for me, and then I compare it to everybody else and how things are going for them. It's always funny when they say things, uh, uh, these new news reports come out and stuff like that, uh, the uh, poverty line in Hawaii for the, a family of four is $96,000, right? You look at yourself and you go, oh, I guess we'll always be broke then. I guess maybe we should move to Texas where we could live above the poverty line. And then we begin to look in, and we compare ourselves against some arbitrary number that some media outlet threw out there on the internet and we take it as gospel truth that we are broke. Hey, lest we forget that half the world's population exists on less than $2 a day. We're the richest civilization ever in the history of mankind. If you make minimum wage and work 20 hours a week, you're richer than 75% of the world. Perspective, folks. I'll never be able to buy a house. Is that your crowning achievement in life to purchase a piece of real estate? Is that all you can think of that you could get from this life that you have? Is a piece of property that you're gonna have to pay property taxes on for the rest of your life? That you're gonna have to cut the grass and whenever the toilet backs up, it's on you? Is that really the crowning achievement of success? Again, I talk with single adults so many times that they feel like success for a single adult is to get married. I can point you to so many married couples who do not feel successful right now. So many, okay? So, and again, I'm not, I'm not down on marriage. I love it. If I'd known that marriage was as good as it is, I would probably get married when I was like 12, right? It's good. It's awesome. I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying don't expect it to fix your problems because you got a wrong expectancy then. How about this? Another enemy of your praise, selfishness. Oh, man. Know this. Praise is God-focused. Selfishness is me-focused. Praise is based on how good God is. Let me just tell you, he's good. Praise is based upon how good God has been. Let me tell you, he's been good. 
Praise is based on all that God does. Man, we could praise him all day long. Selfishness is focused on me. And man, let me tell you, give me long enough and I'll tell you everything that's wrong with me, I guarantee you. And then when I'm done telling you what's wrong with me, I'm gonna tell you what's wrong with my wife. And when I'm done with that, I'm gonna tell you what's wrong with my kids. And when I'm done telling you what's wrong with my kids, I'm gonna tell you what's wrong with my extended family. And then I'm gonna start telling you what's bad about my church family and how my church is this, and how my church is that. You know why? Because it's all about me. You know what I say to that? I love you, so I'm gonna say it. Two words, grow up. Grow up. Praise is about the glory of God and his awesomeness, and we can praise all day long, but a killer of your praise will be selfishness. Selfishness says, I'll get what I want regardless of the cost. Selfishness says, I just want it. I remember my wife and I had been married for probably about two months. I was uh, E4 in the Navy at the time. We were living in base housing. We were, for all intents and purposes, broke because we were terrible, terrible managers of our money. Poor stewards. And I remember my dad had gifted us for our wedding. My dad's a great guy. He had gifted us a 1991 Toyota Corolla. Now, mind you, this was in 99, so it was only eight years old, but it was still a 91 Toyota Corolla with roll-down windows that you crank down, right? And like any car we've ever owned in our entire life, it probably had 140,000 miles on it. But it had freezing cold AC, like, please turn off the AC, it's too cold. Uh, so cold. And it was reliable. It got you from point A to point B. But you know what I realized after being married for two months? I work hard. My wife's a good wife. I mean, we've been married for two months, but she's been good for two months. I don't drive no maroon Toyota Corolla. Like, who even does that? And mind you, you want to see the people that are the brokest in the military drive through enlisted-based housing. You got these massive expensive trucks that I know that they're making a $1,000 a month payment on these trucks and these cars. Our neighbor, I uh, just got his reenlistment bonus and he bought a Porsche Boxster back when those were a thing. And I remember thinking to myself, I gotta pull in the driveway next to this guy driving a Porsche in my maroon Toyota Corolla. This is embarrassing. So you know what we did? We did whatever knucklehead does when they're not satisfied with what they have, we went to the bank and we took out a loan. And you know what I bought my wife? I bought my wife a three series BMW. You know why? Because she deserved it and I did too. I work hard. I, I protect freedom for our nation. I really sat in an office behind a computer nine to five Monday through Friday, but I was protecting freedom, right? I deserve this. My wife has been faithful for over 60 days to me. <laughs> faithful. She deserves something. And you know what? That began a chain reaction of terrible financial decisions that she and I made in the first five years of our marriage that would take us the next five to dig ourselves out of. And you know what the root cause of all that was? Selfishness. All of it. 
And let me just tell you, when you're making $600 a month car payments plus $200 a month in insurance on a car, you don't have a lot to praise God for. You're just trying to make it. And then we want to talk about like, oh, we're broke and the military doesn't pay you enough. And I was dude, we were blowing 800 plus a month on a car. And the worst part is it wasn't even that nice of a car. Why? Selfishness. Selfishness causes dishonesty, thievery, deception. <laughs> My desire to get what I want will cause me to lie, cheat, and steal to get it. I don't care. We live in a society today that has really low regard for the law. <laughs> you don't believe it. Just hang out here on Waimanu Street for a couple of days. Hang out on Kona Street for a couple of hours, and you'll see people that have little to no regard for the law whatsoever. They just want what they want. They're going to get it. They don't care who they have to take it from. Look, we had a car that got broken into so often. It was like once a week that we didn't even keep anything in there because we knew it was going to get broken into. I had a pair of $10 sunglasses from Walmart, and I stopped leaving them in that car because they would get stolen. And it got to the point where we sold the car because we couldn't afford to have it broken into anymore. Look, they busted a window out. Uh, one time they sprayed the inside of the car with pepper spray. Do you know how hard it is to get pepper spray out of your car? What's wrong with people? And it was easier to just sell our car than it was to try to, to keep it locked up at night. Good grief. But do you know what the root of that was? Somebody was walking by and says, hey, I want what that person has. Unless we think to ourselves, well, I've never broken into a car before. No, but you have gone to the ends of the earth to get what you want because you feel like on some level you deserve it. Be careful with that. Selfishness is a trap because we have an insatiable desire for the things of this world. You know what else selfishness does? It takes a short-term view of life. Selfishness, again, has tunnel vision. It's just looking at this 24-hour period, this seven-day period. Selfishness doesn't think what's coming 10 years from now. Selfishness doesn't talk about what's going to happen 20 years from now. Hey, look, try to tell 21-year-old me, you need to think about retirement, son. Do you know what you could do with $800 a month in your retirement fund? You know what I'd say? Get lost. I'm driving a Corolla. Come on. Retirement. I'm 21. 42-year-old me looks back and go, you're an idiot, Anthony. What were you thinking? And I remember my dad trying to sit me down as dad's dude and go, son, if you put $100 a month in savings at 17 years old and you do that every single month, dad, shut up. I'm never going to retire. I'm going to live forever. Right? No. Then at some point, you have to think of a long-term view. Selfishness doesn't do that. It looks at right now. The primary preventer of praise is pride. I worked really hard to get all those P's in there, and I hope you appreciate that. The primary preventer of praise is pride. Man, thinking I'm somebody, thinking I got something coming to me, will keep a complaining spirit and will rob my pride. And let me tell you this, it'll steal your joy. Because let me tell you this, praise and joy, they go together like peanut butter and Funyuns. That's good, right? Praise and joy go together. And look, if you're not praising, you've lost your joy. And if you don't have joy, you're not going to praise. Let's take a look at what 
this passage here talks about praise this morning. Go back to Psalm 34, if you will. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. First of all, God expects our praise. Praise is expected. Praise isn't a good idea. Praise isn't a good suggestion that God gives. Praise is expected. For all that God's done for you, he expects you to give him praise. He expects you to give gratitude. He expects you to give his admiration and worship to him. Romans chapter 15, verse number 10 is in your notes. And again, he saith, rejoice ye Gentiles with all his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. This is a commandment that God gives us. And again, some might look and go, well, why does God need our praise? Let me tell you, friend. You were born into this imperfect world as an imperfect person. You as an imperfect person, me as an imperfect person, God had rules and guidelines set to keep us on the right path and you and I went off on our own path. We went rogue. We did our own thing. We broke God's law and we continue to do that to this day. The Bible calls it, here's a word for you, sin. I have sinned, you have sinned and a person who habitually sins is known as a, help me, Sinner. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. Newsflash, you're in a room full of sinners today, so don't feel awkward about it. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, every single one of us. But God loves you despite the fact that you rebel and fight against him. God loves you even though you've broken his law time and time and time again. He loves you anyways. But God cannot turn a blind eye to your sin like it didn't happen. God can't just pretend like your sin doesn't exist. As a parent, sometimes my kids do things and I'm tired and I don't want to discipline them. And sometimes I just act like I don't see stuff. I'm just going to pretend like I didn't hear that. The kids are fighting in there. I just hope they're going to work it out. I'm not going to get in the middle of that right now. God doesn't do that. God says, you've broken my law. You're on the hook for it. And here's the, the consequences of my sin and yours. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. There's coming a day where you and I will die one day. And again, you couldn't tell a 21-year-old me that I was gonna die one day, but the older I get in life and the more that I experience life, I see people die every day. I'm gonna die one day, but that's not the big deal. Here's what the Bible says is the big deal. It's appointed unto man once to die and after that, the judgment. When we die, we'll stand before God one day, every single one of us. And the Bible says that God has a book in front of him that de determines whether you make it into heaven or not. And that book is called the book of life. And there's only one way to get your name in that book of life. Only one. And that determines heaven or hell. St. Peter will not meet you at the pearly gates. There's not a big scale in heaven that outweighs your good versus your bad. There's one way to get your name in that book. You must be saved. We must put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior to get our name written in that book of life. It takes faith and repentance. I have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I have to believe that he died for my sins to pay for my sins. I have to believe that he rose again the third day victorious over sin, death, and the grave. I have to believe that. That's the faith portion. But the Bible says in the book of James, even the devils believe all that and tremble at the fact. You must repent of your sin. The word repent means to turn from. I'm turning away from my sin 
and turning to Jesus Christ. I'm no longer going to continue in this sin. I'm no longer going to continue this life that I'm living. I'm turning to Jesus to save me from my sin. The Bible says you can be saved today. doesn't matter what you've done in the past. Jesus is enough. doesn't matter how much sin you're carrying. Jesus is enough. But you have to turn from your sin and turn to him. I was a nine-year-old boy when I put my faith and trust in Jesus, and I was saved at nine. I haven't lived a perfect life since I was nine. I've continued to, at every opportunity that I get sometimes, to get back to sin, to continue to turn back to wrong thinking, wrong living, but I know that I'm forgiven, and I wanna leave that life behind. And every time I sin, and every time you sin, you must repent of that sin and turn back to Jesus every single time. But you must be born again. Jesus says in John chapter three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. The only way you're going to heaven is by being saved. That's it. You can't join a church. You can't be baptized. Hey, look, you can go get baptized in the Jordan River, the same water that Jesus himself was baptized in, and that cannot wash away your sin. It can't. You can be a good person. You can do good works, and I hope that you do. But when you get to heaven, your works mean nothing. Is your name in the book of life? The only way to get it there is by faith in Jesus and repentance of your sin. Is your name written in the book of life? Are you saved? Not about have you been baptized? Have you joined a church? Have you gone through catechism? Are you a good person? Have you been saved? And let me tell you this, friend. If you have been saved, you have all the reason in the world to praise God. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I once was responsible for all the wrong that I've done, but Jesus set me free from that. I used to be a slave to sin. Now I'm set free. I used to be an enemy of God. Now I'm adopted into his family, and I'm his son, or I'm his daughter. Oh, man, I got so many reasons to praise today. It's overcast outside. So what? Drink a cup of coffee and praise God that you're saved. Really? say, I don't drink coffee. I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> you should. It'll help you. Now, I'm telling you this. You learn to love coffee, it'll give you one more reason to praise God. How can somebody take a bean and make it into something so glorious? How can you put hope in a cup and drink it? Oh, man, it's good for you. It's a reason to pray. I'm being funny, but I'm telling you this. We have all the reason in the world to praise if you're saved. As we look at our passage of Scripture this morning, we're going to cruise through these last parts and we'll be done. First of all, praise comes from a continually grateful heart. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You know the bummer for us, even as Christians, sometimes is we take one day of the year to be thankful, Thanksgiving. We sit around the table with family and we go around and we say, say something that you're thankful for so that we can hurry up and eat. It's terrible. And I want to talk about every day what I have to be thankful for. I want to talk about every day what reason I have to praise I want to take every opportunity that I have every day to praise God because it comes from a grateful heart. Next, praise comes from a humble heart. Verse two, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. I love the song we heard this morning. I will boast in Christ alone, his righteousness and not my own. Oh, if I got anything to brag about today, I want to brag about how good God is. And I can't over brag about how good God is. I don't want to brag about how good I am. I don't want to humble brag. Evidently, that's a thing now where I talk about how good God is, but really I'm talking about how good, God, good I am. 
I thank God that he was able for me to finish my doctoral theology and graduate with highest honors with a 3.98 grade point average. All glory to God for that. Oh, really? Okay. Careful with that. Just be careful. And again, that's not directed at anybody. I haven't seen your social media posts, and frankly, I don't care. Um, it's not directed at me. I'm just saying don't allow your boast to be in yourself or what you've done. Be, let your boast to be in God. It comes from a continually grateful heart and from a humble heart. You see, praise takes the focus off of my own works and accomplishment. Praise isn't about me, it's all about God. And I wanna praise God for anything, any good that's ever taken place in my life. I wanna praise God for any good gift that comes my way because the Bible says in the book of James, every good and every perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Hey, if you got something good in your life, God gave it to you. Praise him for it. He's worthy. Next, praise fixes my heart on the greatness of God. Complaining focuses my heart on me and my circumstances. Praise fixes my heart on God and his greatness. Hey, walk out today and you'll see how great God is. Take a look at the human body, you'll see how great God is. Take a look at the human will and you see how great God is. Again, we just have to look around and see the awesomeness of God. I think childbirth is one of the most amazing events in all of human history. To see God take a small life that took up residence in a mother's womb. And we're gonna talk about that in a few weeks too, about how life begins at conception and we need to protect life of all kinds how something so small can grow up to be a person that can talk and understand and rationalize. Fascination of the human body. Praise God for that. Praise points other people to the significance of Jesus. Again, verse number two, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. I hope you'll get used to this phrase and really mean it. Praise God. Praise God. Because, again, left to yourself, your life would be one huge steaming garbage heap. Anything good that's come out of your life is praise God. When people come to our church, they say, oh, what a great family, church family you have. And praise God for that. We've got some great people in our church. Sometimes people will say, Pastor, there's a great message today. Man, praise God. It's such a good book, isn't it? <laughs> Not me. That wasn't the, the messenger for sure. It's the message. The Bible's a good book. Praise God for it. Oh, man, I got a raise at work this week. Praise God. Good stuff. Hey, you got laid off this week. Man, praise God. Opportunity to trust him more. Wait, 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 wait. Did you say praise God if somebody lost their job? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, your heart's still beating, isn't it? God's got another chance to do something great this week, right? Praise God for it. Met with a, a friend this week who was facing a difficult health diagnosis that could possibly be fatal. Sat across the table from him and helped him figure out his life priorities. Tell me what's important to you, my faith and my family. Live it then. And then I got a text from him this week. He says, doctor says, everything's clear. Take some medication. Everything should clear itself up. And you know what I said to that? Praise God. He's faithful. And praise God that he gave you a difficult diagnosis to help you get your priorities straight. You look at that and you go, man, praise God for all that. 
Again, the praise of God is not based on my circumstances and how comfortable this is for me. Praise is based on the greatness of God. And so praise allows us to point other people to the significance of Jesus in our lives. I'm trying to teach our, our daughter, she's uh, 11, to tell people, praise God. Something good happens, tell them, praise God. And she goes, that's kind of weird, isn't it? And I said, it's weird if you don't do it. And she goes, well, it just sounds weird to say that. It sounds like too religious or something. I get it, but know this, we wouldn't have anything good if it wasn't for God. Every time before we eat, we stop and we pray and we thank God. Why do we do that? It's praise. There have been times before where my kids have prayed so long <laughs> that you got like a waitress trying to bring food who's sitting there with food in her hand. She's not sure if she should bow or uh, drop the food off, right? Hey, that's fine. Take a minute. We're praising God right here. Again, we don't have to be embarrassed by it. We don't have to be ashamed. We want to point people to the greatness of God. And praise lets other people know what's really driving this. God is. Next, praise is always better together. Verse three, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. You know, if, if church was just about showing up on Sunday morning, singing some songs and listening to some guy talk for a while, we could find more efficient ways to do this. I'll send you a Spotify playlist on Saturday night that you sit around in your living room and play on Sunday morning. You can sing along if you want to because some of you don't sing anyways. Um, I'm just seeing if you're still awake. I know all of you want to praise God on Sunday morning together. But I'll send you a Spotify playlist and then I'll, I'll record a message online that you can listen to at your leisure whenever you want and you'll get the same content. It's just a little bit more convenient for you in your own environment. Why don't we do that? It'd be a lot easier than gathering together and, and renting a building and setting up chairs and having a vacuum and clean bathrooms and turn on the AC. It'd be a lot easier, right? The problem with that is, is that we're not together. And for the last, did you know this? For the last 20 years, people have been trying to build online churches. And it doesn't work. You know why? Because part of the church is that we're together oh, we got these chat boards that we can chat back and forth. That doesn't replace face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball contact. We need to do it together. And when we praise God, we need to praise God together. If you're part of one of our small groups that meets on Wednesday night, we gather in a circle together, usually uh, anywhere from five to 10 people have been uh, big the last couple of weeks. We're probably gonna split one soon and create a new connect group on Wednesday nights. But we get together in a circle and we go around and we share our name, we share a praise and a prayer request. You know why? Because we want to talk about how good God is. And sometimes people's praise is, I'm just glad that I'm here tonight. Hey, man, I'll take that. I'm glad you're here too. Praise God for that. Sometimes people, hey, praise God, this thing that I had going on at work last week, it worked itself out. And praise God for that. But we have a time where we praise God together because our praises, first of all, are multiplied. God doesn't get one praise. He gets hundreds of praises. When we gather together to praise God together, it multiplies our praise. Also, our faith is strengthened as a result of it. Some folks in the last couple of weeks have come to their very first Connect group on a Wednesday night. Awesome. Praise God for that. I love it when people come and go, I'm new and I don't really know what to do. Praise God, I'm glad you're here. And I'm thrilled that you're here. I love it when first-time guests come to our church. Man, if you're a first-time guest here today, praise God for you being here. I'm so thankful for you. I've been praying for you this week that God would bring first-time guests to our church service, and we're delighted that you're here. 
Praise God for that. But you know what? When you come and you don't know what to do, watch everybody else. We're just going to train you on what to do. When John sometimes on Sunday morning says the most terrifying words you've ever heard in your life, which are turn around and greet someone around you. And you look and you're like, what are we supposed to do now? And you see everybody else just doing it. You know why? Because that's how we train one another. The Christian life isn't meant where we give you a book and just say, here, do this. The Christian life is meant to be like this. I put my arm around you and say, bro, walk with me. I'll show you how this is done. That's the Christian life. It's called discipleship. It's how we do it. And when we gather together to praise, our praises are multiplied, but also my praise trains other people and helps them to learn what it means to praise God. And our faith is strengthened as a result of it. And when we praise God together, other people are encouraged by our praise. Hey, look, I know what God did in my life this week, and he did some some awesome stuff in my life this week. And I'd like to tell you about that. But I don't know what God's done in your life this week, and I want to hear that. I want to hear how God came through for you this week. And you know what I really want to hear? If you had a really crummy week and everything was terrible, I want to hear about that too, and I'll help you find a way to praise God through that if you don't have one already. Because that's the point of community. That's why this church exists. You know, there have been people writing books, again, for the last 20 years. How much longer is the current church model sustainable? Well, it's been good for 2,000 years. I think it'll probably be good for another 2,000. Just people gathering together every week, worshiping Jesus, talking about God's word, loving one another, serving one another, taking care of each other, walking through life together. I think it works. We're just gonna stick with it. Practical ways, how do we magnify Jesus through praise? First of all, have a zero tolerance policy for complaining. None. Not gonna happen, not on my watch. And if you hear somebody complaining, say, hey, what's something good God's done for you this week? They'll kind of stop it. And if they don't get the hint, they'll get it eventually. Because complaining kills our praise. Next, pursue and preserve a humble spirit. I want to keep my heart right before God and realize anything that I have is a gift. Hey, look, I woke up this morning. My alarm went off far earlier than I wanted it to. But I got up out of bed, and you know what I said? Praise God, some people didn't get up this morning. I got out of bed on my own two feet. Some people didn't do that this morning. I got to worship God together with some of the finest people I've ever met in my entire life. Some people didn't get to do that this morning. I got a text from a friend this morning who was in Illinois, five degrees, and said, we couldn't get to a good Bible preaching church today, so we watch an old, old who we call a service online. Thanks for that. And I thought, praise God for that, first of all. But secondly, I thought, I get to come to a good church and be with God's people and worship Jesus and magnify him together today. Man, praise God for that. Don't take it for granted. Next, make praise a regular part of your prayer life. If you come to God with just a bunch of gripes and concerns and stuff you want, you're missing out on some of the best relationship with God. And if you just come to God with a punch list of stuff you want done this week, God's not really God to you. He's more of Santa Claus. Like, hey, here's my stuff I want. Give it to me whenever I get it. Make praise part of that. There's an acrostic, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Acts is the the acrostic. But the idea is that part of that, I'm gonna give praise to God for what he's done and thank him for his goodness. Because if I don't stop to praise, I'll forget how good God's been. Next, share your praise with another person. 
I love getting texts when people say, hey, let me tell you what God did today. Oh man, I wanna praise God with you. I love getting texts from people who say, hey, my day was crummy. This happened, but I'm trusting God through it. I say, praise God, he's faithful. And again, that word's not just praise God, it's just some phrase that Christians throw around. I really mean thank the Lord for all he's done because he is so faithful. Praise God. Praise God with other people. Tell people good stuff that God's doing in your life. Be a part of a small group where we get to share praises together. Sometimes our, our, on, a, on a Wednesday night, we have about an hour or so for our small groups. Sometimes our praise and prayer requests can take like 45 minutes. And you know what? That's okay. We should never be ashamed of praising God together with God's people or be concerned that we take too much time praying. My word. It's a good thing. Praise God with other people. Next, sing your praises to God. Hey, look, the first 30 minutes or so that we have of our service isn't just a saying to get people warmed up for the preaching. I've heard churches say foolish things like that before. Well, we've got a few songs we're going to sing this morning to get you warmed up for the preaching. Excuse me? No, 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 no. We don't sing because we have nothing else to do. We don't sing to fill time. We don't put words on a screen for Christian karaoke because everybody likes a good night of karaoke, Right? We don't do that. We sing praise to our God. These words mean something. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before. Oh my soul. I'll worship his holy name. He's rich in love and he's slow to anger. Man, think about that and praise God with it. Before we dismiss today, we're going to sing the doxology. Last night we were sitting at dinner and uh, we were sitting at a pizza place in Iaia and they were playing 90s music in there. <coughs> Back in the 90s, I'll confess, my wife and I were not walking with Jesus and we knew almost every single song that they were playing, almost every single one. And uh, my daughter, McKeely, says, this music is so old. And I was like, I know the 90s was so long ago. It's so old. I said, I know. And she said, what's the oldest song that you know? And I think to myself, oldest song? Like, I don't, I don't even know that. And my, my son Vanderlei, without missing a beat, pipes up and he goes, the doxology. I go, ooh, that's good. That's good. That's an old song. Oldie but goodie right there. The doxology we sing sometimes when we dismiss here. You know how old it is? 350 years Christians have been singing that. 350 years old. And, and the, the term doxology, you might not know this, but the, the, the Greek word doxa means glory and praise. And so the word ology means the study of, therefore we have the study of the praise and glory of God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And all God's people said, Amen. Not Amen. <laughs> amen. And the word Amen, let it be so. Man, let God's name be praised. We don't just sing that because it's a catchy little thing to do before we leave. We sing it because we want to remember, praise God this week every single day, because from him, all blessings flow. How's your praise life? We don't talk about that a lot. We sometimes say, how's your prayer life been? How's your Bible reading? How's your praise? 
Praise is a window into your heart. If my heart's right, I'll praise. If my heart's wrong, I'll complain and gossip. Dangerous. How's your praise life? When good stuff happened, you go, yeah, I knew that was gonna happen. Yeah, I've been working really hard on that. Or do you say, man, praise God, that was good. How's your expectancy? Do you have a sense of entitlement? Hmm, are you guilty? Maybe I should just ask, how often are you guilty of selfishness? I wanna put all that stuff away so that my praise can be good. So that I can see God for what he really is. So I can really bless the Lord with all my soul. I wanna put away me-focused living and put it on God-focused living. And you know what I wanna say together with my church family? Today, tomorrow, and every day until Jesus comes, hey, come, let's magnify the Lord together. Let's exalt his name. The Lord exalt means to lift up. I hope you're here this morning because you wanna magnify Jesus. I hope in your life this year, you're examining your own life to say, hey, how can I magnify Jesus more? Let's start with our praise this week because whatever on my head is gonna go to my heart, whatever's on my heart comes out in my words and my actions. And if I have the goodness and, and, and praise of God on my mind that will go to my heart, that will flow through my actions and my words that I use this week. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you do not know for sure that you're saved, there's never been a time in your life where you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, do not leave here today until you know for sure your sins are forgiven. The words you use, the way that you act will not amount to a hill of beans the day that you stand before God if you are not saved. Today's message is geared primarily to, towards those who know Jesus Christ as Savior. Let's live a life of praise. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, this church cannot save you. Baptism cannot save you. Some religious experience you had one time will not save you. The only hope that you have is faith in Jesus Christ and repentance of your sins. Don't leave here today without knowing for sure that you're saved. For those of us that are saved, let's live a praise life this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.